You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. All right, well, good morning. Can we praise God for what he's doing in our lives and thank him for his goodness? Amen. Um, I just become more and more convicted during, like, sports seasons. You know, we celebrate when our favorite team wins the divisional playoffs and whatever, and I feel like the church should be the place that praises the most. We should be the place full of praise. We should be the place just tearing the roof off the house um, with our volume because we're so thankful for the Lord and for all his goodness. I want to read the text first. It's Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. It's a familiar passage. It's a powerful passage. I want to read it, and then we'll dive into what I believe Paul and God want us to learn from that today. He says in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, Therefore... And we have to pause for a moment to remind ourselves of why it says therefore. And if you remember, if you haven't kept up with us, you can always go back online and listen to sermons or watch them. But in Romans 11, Paul spent a ton of time talking about the importance of Israel being grafted in, uh, us Gentiles being grafted into that nation and the family of God spiritually. And so he's saying, uh, because Paul said all of the spiritual children of God will be saved. And because that's true, because that's a fact and we can take it to the bank that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the cross, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. To offer your bodies as a thing that's full of life, but a thing that's constantly dying. It's kind of an oxymoron that we would be a living sacrifice, full of life, but constantly dying to the ways of Jesus. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. If you want to have true and proper worship, Paul says you need to be alive and you need to be dying. We need to be alive and dying. That's what Paul says. And then he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm a nonconformist, amen? I will not conform to the patterns of this world. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, when you do that, Paul says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Amen? Does anybody want to know God's will for their lives? The title of this message is Renew Your Mind. Um, Have any of you ever received one of those publishers' clearinghouse sweepstakes? You know what I'm talking about, right? For years, back in the 90s especially, companies would send out, like Reader's Digest, Good Housekeeping, Publishers Clearinghouse, all of those places, they would send out mailings offering a sweepstakes to one lucky winner if they would fill out the paperwork, send it back in, and they could possibly win their prize. But apparently, it was effective. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, but apparently it worked, because in the 90s, there were multiple uh, companies that had more than a million subscribers, people who would pay small fees to subscribe to these publications at a very low cost. In 1997, one of the companies, American Family Publishers, had a mailing list that included this person. It was the Bushnell Assembly of God. It was a church in Bushnell, Florida, that had come up on their list, and the computer had twisted the name of that church, so the notice for that church actually said, the God of Bushnell. And so they sent a letter to this address, uh, 
to uh, the God of Bushnell, and the letter read like this. I thought this was funny. It says, Dear God, we're searching for you. You've been positively identified as our $11 million mystery millionaire. What an incredible fortune there would be for you, God. Imagine the looks that you'll get from your neighbors. But don't just sit there, God. Come forward now and claim your prize. They were searching for God. As funny as that is, they were promising God a huge blessing. If only God would come forward and respond to their offer. Our text today reminds us that God is offering us blessing far greater than we could ever ask for. Not just to one lucky winner, but like Paul mentioned in chapter 11, this is for anyone who would look for God and respond to him. I don't know about you, but I want to know what God's will is. So if you're searching for God's will, if I'm searching and we want to know it and we want to receive his blessings, then we have to respond to the offer that God gives us. And God says that we can do this, according to Paul, by being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so today I want to spend a few moments considering what does that mean when Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of their minds. It means we need to change the way we think. Amen? We need to all change the way we think. And you might be saying, well, why do I need to do that? Why do I need to change the way that I think? The reason is simple, because most of us start by believing that my opinion is the basis of truth. Most people in the world believe that their opinions, their preferences, their ideas, that's where truth starts. George Barna's research team, which is Uh, does a lot of research, surveyed American Christians, and they found out that most people make all of their moral choices, they make all of their ethical decisions on the basis of what, listen, of what feels right to them and what makes them comfortable in situations. This is Christians surveyed. The research says that most of us make all of our moral and ethical decisions based on what makes us comfortable and what feels right to us. In other words, if I think something's right, It must be right. It's just good old-fashioned common sense, right? If it makes sense to me, then it must make sense to God. I read a story this week about a guy who had a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in his office at home. It hung over his writing desk. This guy was a writer. And he came in one morning, and the picture was crooked. And so he straightened back the picture. And he went about his day, and he came back in the next morning to do some writing, and the picture was crooked again. And so he straightened out the picture, went about his day, came up, and this happened for four, five, six days, on and on and on. And finally, he didn't understand, and he was frustrated, so he went to his housekeeper, and he said, do you have any idea why my picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa keeps getting straightened? Or, I'm sorry, keeps getting unstraightened. And she said, well, I'm really sorry, that was me, but every morning when I would come in, I had to make the picture crooked so the tower would be straight. Right? And as funny as that is, listen to the wisdom literature of God's word. It will be up on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight, right? How often do we take God's will for our lives and think that we have to straighten it, right? Because it doesn't look right to us. 
And so we come in every day and we try to straighten it so it makes sense to us. And Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways. Submit, sit underneath his authority and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way, listen, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to what? Death. It it makes sense. There's a way, the author says, that it makes sense. And to us, it looks right. The picture gets tilted the wrong way. We straighten it up. That looks right to us, but God's word says it actually leads to death. Proverbs 28, those who trust in themselves, this is harsh, those who trust in themselves are what? Fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Foolish? Like, really? I'm foolish? My ways, my thinking, my opinions sometimes are foolish. Why would trusting in my instincts make me foolish? Well, listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand? Listen, our feelings cannot dictate everything we do. Because Jeremiah, God's word, Proverbs reminds us, left to our own appearances, our own feelings, our own ideas and opinions, we are foolish. Something's wrong inside each and every one of us. Something that causes us to make bad choices. Something that warps us into believing that what we think is always right. And I'll tell you what it is, it's sin. It's our thinking has been warped by the world of sin. We're immersed in it, we live in it. And so the Bible says you can't trust your instincts because we end up depending on false news. Fake news, right? If you just live by your own understanding and your own ideas and your own perceptions and appearances, you will be led astray because the heart above all things will deceive us. And the things that might feel right and seem right may actually lead us to death because sin cuts us off from the real source of truth, which is God. And the only way to fix that, Paul says, is to not conform, but instead to renew our minds. And so we change the way and we change how we think. God's thinking is different than ours. Listen to Isaiah 55. We know this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Listen, church, we need to tie into God's ways and God's thoughts. Amen? We need to be tapped into the source of truth. And until we do that, we're always going to be on our own. We're always going to tie into our own instincts and our own opinions. And we're always going to end up messing things up and going down this road that the proverb says leads to death. And so where do we get God's ways of thinking? Where do we get it? The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me, right? I stand on the word of God. If we're going to actually stand full of life and a living sacrifice full of life and always dying to the cross and always submitting to Christ, full of life but full of submission, we have to tap into God's word. If I take this book and sit it on my desk and think that it's going to just naturally by osmosis creep into my mind and I'm going to know everything about it, I'm foolish. I'm absolutely foolish. And if your Bible sits on your bookshelf and it just collects dust for the rest of your days, you are foolish. The only way to know God's ways, the only way to know God's heart, the only way, it's a gift to us so that we can understand that his ways are different than ours and we can submit to him. It will never work 
for us to just sit this book down and believe it's going to change us. We have to open the Word of God on a daily basis. We have to open God's Word so that we know what it says. I, I, I don't want you to answer this question out loud, but I'm, I'm coming strong today because I know I live in the same world that you live in. We do not... As a nation, stand on the word of God. Many of us as individuals do not stand on the word of God. So without saying this out loud, I'm not saying this to embarrass you, I want to ask you, how many times did you open this book this week? How many times did you seek God's will, God's ways, God's thoughts, God's understanding this week? Most of us could probably count it on one hand. How many times we opened this word? Uh, there's something I learned about a long time ago called the power of four. Okay, this isn't something that's necessarily biblical, but it's true. The idea says this. If you listen to me, if I say, hey guys, let's open up the word and read this together, turn with me to this passage. That's a really good thing, but it will actually have very little, if any, impact on the way that you think and the way that you behave for the rest of your life. But if on Monday you say, you know what, I'm going to go back and read Romans 12 again. I'm going to read the rest of Romans 12. This way of thinking says it will still have very little, probably actually no impact on the way that you believe or change the way that you live for the rest of your life. If on Tuesday you do the same thing, it says you'll have a little bit of maybe you'll remember it, maybe it'll change you, you'll think more about it. On Wednesday, it says if four times, if at least four times, you'll open up the same thing on a weekly basis, that it will start to have a dramatic effect on the way that you live your life. It'll help you deal with loneliness. It will help you handle moral struggles and how you share your faith with other people. It says the power of four, that if you don't do it four times, a study says that the life that you live will be almost the same as the life of a non-believer. In other words, God's word will not change you if you don't read it. I hear all the time, I don't like these Christian songs, they're so repetitive. But we're not living it out, right? We, we talk about the news, we're like, same stories all day long. If you start the news at 7 a.m., you're going to watch and listen to the same story at 7 p.m. Why is that? Because they know that if you hear it four times, it will change the way you think and it will change the way you live. What is changing you? The news or the good news? Come on. What are we paying attention to? What are we listening to? Because Proverbs said that there is a way that seems good to us, but it leads to death. And his ways are higher than our ways. And if the only time we're in the word is on Sunday morning with our preacher or online with the preacher that we listen to, it will not change the way we think and it will not change the way we behave. Come on, guys. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, like newborn babies crave, desire, pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's not that you're more saved. It's that you're growing up in your salvation, right? Don't look at a toddler and say you're not a human, but we still want them to grow up, right? We don't want them, to, I mean, we do. We're like, oh, I don't want you to grow up. You know, how many times have I told you stop growing up? I mean, we do. I get that, but you know what I'm saying. We don't like say you're going to just drink a bottle for the rest of your life. So why do we do that with our faith and the way that we treat God? 
If we just read the Bible, it's a good thing. It's not enough. It's a start. It's where we begin. But we crave, like 1 Peter says, we crave spiritual milk, things that are going to grow us and change us and help us to think more like God because I don't want to do what looks good that leads to death. I want to follow the one who is good, who went and died so that I could have life forever. Amen? That's the goal. I meet many people who say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that stuff. I don't, I've, and, and they'll say, it's, it's awesome. I love it. They'll go, I've read the Bible from the front to the back. I can quote it with the best of them. But the thing is, it's never changed them because they have never let God change them. They've just read it simply like it's a book. If we don't have fear and reverence for God, it'll never change us. His ways are higher than ours. We don't understand it. We don't like everything about it, maybe, and we may not even understand it. But he's right, and I'm wrong. And he is not supposed to agree with me. I am supposed to agree with him. But for some reason, many of us have grown up to believe that as long as God agrees with me, then we'll get along great. But when you don't, then I've got a better plan. I've got a better way. What does it mean to fear God? It means that God's right, and I'm not. And if I read the Bible, that's how it's going to be. I can be wrong. He can't. Amen? I might be wrong. The preacher might be wrong, but he will not be. And so we need to know God's word, his agenda, his priorities, and that agenda, and those priorities then become ours, not the other way around. Paul said a few chapters ago in chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, do you believe that? says, if you confess that and believe that, that you'll be saved. That's what the word says. And a lot of people believe that all we have to do is confess Christ. All we have to do is believe and confess, and that we're saying that that's good enough. But listen, in that statement, Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Jesus owns us. We don't own him. We were bought with a price. We did not choose him. He chose us. And so when we confess that Christ is Lord, we're saying that, God, we belong to you. you we, are, we are your possession, as First Peter says. You're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart, a possession that God chose. He owns us. We belong to him. I turn my thinking over to his thinking. I turn my priorities and my agenda over to his. There's a story about a rancher who died, and he left a will for his family. For his boys, he had a couple boys, and he passed away, and he had a a, a really nice ranch. And in his will, not only did he tell them what they would receive, but he left several instructions for them. So he told them, here's what you're going to get, and then here are a few things that I want you to do. Inside of that, one of the first things that he said was, I want you guys to buy all the extra land around the ranch. And so he instructed that they would buy that property, and the boys got together and they talked about it. They said, you know what? Dad's absolutely right. We need to buy all the property around this place. And so they did. The next thing was an instruction for them was that they would dam the creek up so that there would be a pond that the cattle could go to and graze and have water nearby. And the sons were like, yeah, that's a great idea. We absolutely should do that. And so they agreed with the father's decision, and they did that. And then the last thing that the dad said was that he wanted him to tear down the old barn and rebuild a brand new barn on the same exact spot. And after they talked about it, they're like, why would we do that? It doesn't make any sense. This barn is totally fine. And so they just left it. Let me ask you the question. Did the sons obey the father? No. What they did was they obeyed two of the three things. And actually what they did was not 
do anything that the father asked. What they did was they followed the instructions of the father as long as they agreed with them. Come on! This is what we do all the time. We follow the instructions of the father as long as we agree with them. They looked at the instructions as optional and as suggestions as long as they agreed with him. And I'm telling you, God was not one to agree with us. We agree with him. And if there is a differing in opinion, God is right and Ryan is wrong. And this is how many of us, most of us, a lot of us, deal with God. We obey God and we do what he asks as long as we like it. And as long as we agree with it. And as long as it falls into our political side of the aisle that we agree with. And as long as it means that I can be comfortable. And as long as it means that I can keep doing things the way that I like to do them. Because that way that appears good, Paul, uh, the Bible actually says it leads to death and destruction. But we ignore that. And we treat God's written word as it, it might be outdated. Like, well, that, that can't be what it means now. Right? That's not, that's, that's like, you got to go back and understand. I mean, that's, that's, he doesn't mean that now. That was back when the, the Jews, I mean, come on, guys. No. That's not how the word of God is supposed to be handled. And the text reminds us that the way that we know God's will is by not conforming to the patterns of this world, but instead transforming our way of thinking, renewing our mind. And when we do that, it says we can test and see what his will is for us. But if we're just following the patterns of the world, if we ride this train of thought out, we will not see God's will, amen? The only way that we'll see God's will is if we don't conform, but we instead transform our thinking to the way that God's thinking. Then we can test. Then we can see what his will is for us because we're aligned with him and not with ourselves. Galatians 5 later, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and if you do, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What does this mean? He says later on, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We know the song. We've sung it before. Against such things, he says, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. These are the ways that we measure our faith. This is how we test and see if God's will and what it is for us. We measure it up against love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Are you patient with people? Are you showing love to people? Are you kind? Is your life filled with joy? These are the ways that we see. Is our mind being renewed? Because my guess is that when we turn off the TV or when we turn off the news, we're not very patient and we're not very loving and we're not full of joy and we're driven to fear and we're terrified. But I'm telling you, that's not God's will for your life. That's not what the word says. The fruit of the Spirit is something that will never get completely right. These are goals that we shoot for in the way that we live. But the more of these things that we have in our lives, the more of God's Spirit is transforming us. This is how we seek God's will for us. This is how we get to know what His will is for our life. Do not, my friends, conform to the patterns of this world. It may look good, but it leads to death. Transform your way of thinking. Get in the word, the power of four. I'm telling you, read the word, not just today. Read it tonight. Read it tomorrow. Read it tomorrow night. This word will change you, amen? 
This is the only way that leads to life. It's by knowing Jesus and by knowing his plan and his will for you. And a Bible that's worn out and torn to shreds and marked up is owned by somebody who's probably not worn out. But a Bible that looks nice and put together with dust all over it is probably owned by somebody who's traveling a road that actually leads to death, that's full of comfort and full of safety and full of their own opinions and preferences. And it may seem good to you, but the Bible says it leads to death. And so we don't conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, we change the way we think. Because God is smarter than me. And God's smarter than you. And his ways are higher. And we may not understand them. And there's a lot about this life right now that we don't understand. Amen? But let me tell you who's in control. God. Not me. And so I don't want to conform to the patterns of the world. I want to be transformed, and I hope that you do too.